Every word of God is pure, and all Scripture has been given by inspiration of God's Holy Spirit for our instruction in righteousness. That portion that forms the basis for our meditation this day is found in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 to 33. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, just as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he himself is the Savior. Moreover, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives in the same way as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy by cleansing her with the washing of water in connection with the word. He did this so that he could present her to himself as a glorious church, having no stain or wrinkle or any such thing, but so that she would be holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands have an obligation to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. To be sure, no one has ever hated his own body, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will be one flesh. This is a great mystery but I'm talking about Christ and the church. In any case, each one of you also is to love his wife as himself, and each wife is to respect her husband. So far, our text. Dear fellow redeemed, in Christ Jesus, the risen and ascended Savior, who loves to hear and answer our prayers, and even who has promised to pray for us, Grace and peace be unto you. As pastors, we have what's called a pericope, and it's something we usually follow. It sets out a series of Bible passages from the Old Testament and New Testament, and they blend it around a theme. For example, the theme this weekend is prayer. And you heard two of those readings from the pericope. There's a wide, a great number of pericopes that we can follow, and Pastor Schaller and I are following one this year. But sometimes we depart from following a pericope for a specific reason. And today we're departing from following a pericope. We're departing from following a pericope because of a special reason. In our congregation, we normally average about five weddings a year. This year, from here on out to the end of the year, so far, we have 12 weddings. And that made me stop to think, you know, that's something pretty special. 12 weddings in our congregation. And so we're taking the opportunity this day take a moment to just stop off in the scriptures and take a look at the topic of marriage. Now, some of us might be tempted to say, okay, I'm glad he's talking about marriage because I'm not married, so this won't apply to me. Or I'm too old and I'm widowed and I'm not married now, so it doesn't apply to me. Or I'm a real young person and it doesn't apply to me. But really, a topic of marriage applies to all of us. It applies to all of us that are married, certainly. It applies to our young people because they someday might be married. And it applies to all of us because we're living in a world where we have to stand up for the truth. It applies to all of us because marriage is something that God started. It's his institution. It isn't something that human beings came up with. If human beings came up with the topic of marriage and thought, this is a good idea for society, well, then we could change the definition of marriage. But God gave marriage to mankind. He gave it in the Garden of Eden. He gave it but it's a cornerstone of all civilization, the family unit. And because he gave it, he's got the right, he's got the, he's got the right to set 
the definition of what marriage is. He's got the right to tell us what marriage is to be like, and only he can change that. So as Christians, we're living in a world now where we have lots of opportunity to speak up for the truth of God's word. And in speaking up for the truth of God's word, we can speak up for the truth of Jesus, the Savior. Because marriage and Jesus are connected, as our text tells us. So what's the key to having a good marriage, a successful marriage? Well, there's lots of ideas out there. One idea is you've got to have love. And another idea is well, good communication, that's the key to a good marriage. And there are lots of books, I have them on my shelf, I suppose every pastor has on the shelf, about marriage and marriage counseling. But really, you can sum up what is the key to a successful marriage in two words. Good Friday. May God's Spirit bless our study of the word that he's recorded. Good Friday is a good summary of a marriage because it gives us, displays for us, the role model for each marriage, for what a husband is to do and for what a wife is to do. We're at verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. We need to stop for a moment on the word submit. The world doesn't understand this particular concept. It's a concept that comes from God. Where God says to us, I'm a God of order. And boy, can we ever be thankful that he's a God of order. Because he's a God of order, the sun came up, the rain's going to come down and do its work in the world, on the, in the earth, because he's a God of order, the stuff, cycle of the seasons, and all nature is going to function according to certain laws, because God's a God of order. But he didn't leave mankind outside of his orders. And so he's got orders for mankind. He's got a structure. And the word submit is nothing else than to say, I'm going under the orders that God's given me. And God's given orders to all of us. He's given some orders to all of us in this sense. He wants us to obey the government, be subject to the government. He's given orders that when, if you are an employee, you've got the order to be under your employer. He's given orders to those who are students to be under their teachers. He's given orders to teachers to be under their boards of education or over them. He's given orders to us as pastors to be under our congregation. He's given orders to members to be under the pastors. He just is a God of order, and we can expect that when it comes to marriage, he's going to also have a structure or an order. And here it comes in the word submit. Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, the world likes to think about this word submit as implying inferiority. So because I'm under somebody, that person must be more important than me. But that's not God's idea. When you take a look at the scriptures, you find Jesus doing the submitting. He submits to his parents and obeys them. And who in the world would say Mary and Joseph were superior to Jesus? He submits to Pontius Pilate. He submits to corrupt religious leaders. He submits to, uh, to other to people. And when it came to Christians, when it came to anybody, he put his needs, he submitted, he put his needs under the needs of others. So you can go through the Gospels and find Jesus submitting and submitting and submitting, and nobody would say he was inferior to all those other people. So the concept of inferiority has nothing to do with this biblical concept of submission. It has to do with God's a God of order. Verse 23 for the husband is the head of the wife, just as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he himself is the Savior. Moreover, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. 
Then comes the God of order outlining for us what a husband is to do. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives in the same way as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Again in verse 28. In the same way, husbands have an obligation to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. To be sure, no one has ever hated his own body, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. So you have two examples for husbands. The one example is Christ, the head of the church, and the other is our own bodies, our head and our body. In both cases, God, God says, Jesus says to the husband, love your wife. Verse 33, in any case, each one of you also is to love his wife as himself, and each wife is to respect her husband. Good Friday is the key to a successful marriage because it gives us the role model. Wives, look to the Good Friday cross and see what Jesus wants you to do. Husbands, look to the Good Friday cross and see what Jesus wants you to do. But we're not always very successful following a role model. I had a major breakdown this past week. <clears throat> I was really busy working on this particular sermon and some other things for church. So I asked Eileen if she would go to the store and order four items. So she went off to the store and came back. And I asked her, how did it go? And I looked at the receipt, and she had only ordered three items. I said, what happened here? I gave you exactly on a piece of paper what you needed to order. How come that didn't get done? Well, she had a rebuttal to that, and it ended up with her saying, you go to the store and get it then. And you see the breakdown. If Jesus had said to her, listen, you only got three of the four items. You have to go back to the store and get fourth item. I don't think she would have said to him, you, Jesus, go back to the store and get that item. And I had a breakdown because I said to her, well, what's going on here? And I was, I was uh, not necessarily very pleasant in our discussion. And that's not what Jesus would have done. He probably would have said, oh, that's okay. You got to get that fourth item. Here, I'll put my arm around you. No problem. We'll take care of this. But you see, even in the process of working on the Good Friday sermon, I have a breakdown. And that's what happens to us in following, the, <clears throat> following that role model. A perfect savior, a perfect head of the church, a perfect lover of his bride, and we don't measure up all the time. And there are many, many ways in which we can break down. Sometimes it's we're short of patience. Sometimes we're not very kind in some of the words, language we use. Sometimes we use inappropriate language. And, that's, and the sins can go on into just multiply, and sometimes into multiplying into gross sins. Can you imagine Jesus Christ ever slapping the Holy Christian Church in the face? Can you ever imagine Jesus Christ using some derogatory terms towards his bride? And we have breakdowns with physical abuse and verbal abuse. And we have even more breakdowns. And we end up saying, I don't want to be married. I want to get a divorce. I want to separate. <coughs> We have even more breakdowns where we have affairs. Can you imagine that happening? Well, it did happen. It happens that's littered throughout the Old Testament where the, Holy, where the Christians wandered away from their bridegroom and went off and got involved with an, another god, with an idol. The Bible refers to that sometimes, at, that idolatry, as spiritual adultery. They were not faithful to their bridegroom, Jesus. And they wandered off and worshipped idols. 
So we need more than a role model. We need a savior. And Good Friday presents to us the savior that we need for the breakdowns we have, whether they're minor or major, short-term, long-term, minimal impact or maximum impact. We have the Good Friday Jesus who comes to bring us forgiveness. We're verse 25 and 26. Husbands, love your wives in the same way as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy by cleansing her with the washing of water in connection with the word. Christ loved the church and gave up his life for her. Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, not just in the sense of he spent his lifetime trying to serve the church, but he spent his life, he gave his life on the cross for that. And now it speaks about cleansing her with the washing of water in connection with the word. Here's a nice reference to baptism, the water in connection with the word. And remember, we recall that section from Martin Luther's small catechism where he describes to us the power that can be found in baptism. It's not found in the water, but that's just simple, ordinary, plain water. The power found in baptism is in the word of God that's connected with that water. And here's a passage that teaches that very thing. He cleanses her with the washing of water in connection with the word. Cleanses her, washes her, cleans her from all sins, all spots, all stains. And here comes the message to all of us, whether we're married or not, whether we're young or old. Here's the message. In Jesus, on Good Friday, you have a special cleansing that takes place. He gave his life for you, that you might live with him forever. That's the work of the Savior. I was recently asked <coughs> by someone, so are you, uh, they had a form us, they were filling out, and they asked me, are you married, single, divorced, or widowed? And I said, well, you don't have my category on there. And I said, well, what do you mean? And she, she read the form again, are you married, single, widowed, uh, or divorced? And I said, I'm not any of those. I'm happily married. And it started a conversation with us, and I had a chance to talk to her about marriage and God's plan. God's plan isn't that we would get married, and then it's a chore, and we labor, and we work our way through marriage. God's plan is that marriage would be a blessing, that it would be a happy thing that we, that we would have. <clears throat> and he intends that as a blessing for our families that were happily married. He intends that happy marriages for a blessing to our society. He intends marriage, happy, happy marriage, as a blessing to the work of the church. So that's God's plan. But what makes for a successful marriage? Well, Good Friday helps us to answer that question as well. Let me paraphrase the Bible passage. The Bible passage is, what's a man gain, what's a man profit if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? So let's just change that passage a little bit. What does a, what's a person uh, profit if he's success, happily married for 50 years, or 60 years, or 75 years, and loses his soul? The answer is nothing. God's plan isn't just that we would be happily married for this lifetime. God's plan is that we would help our spouses on to eternal life. Peter puts it well when he talks in his first epistle in chapter 3 about the problem that comes up when we are not treating our spouses the way God wants us to. He actually says, 
you can hinder your prayer life by doing that, by mistreating the one that God's given you to be your, your cherished companion. That can affect your Christian faith life, including your prayers. Because he wants us to live together, and then, then he has that, the Holy Spirit put in that phrase, as heirs of eternal life. So when I see my wife, I should not just see my friend and my companion of 50 plus years and the one that I love and I'm happy to be married to. I should see in my wife a soul that Jesus died for. I should see in my wife a plan that God has that he wants her in heaven and that I should be then a helper in her Christian faith life. As a, and we should live together as heirs of eternal life. So that necessitates thinking about Bible studies at home and talking about our Christian faith and worshiping at God's house and encouraging one another in the attendance of the Lord's Supper and encouragement in the work of the kingdom. Because we're living together not just to be happily married, we're living together as heirs of eternal life. And that's in our text, we're at verse 27. Jesus cleansed her with water. He did this so he could present her to himself a, as a glorious church, having no stain or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. Jesus not only took care of things on Good Friday for his bride, but he continues to take care of things for his bride, to present her without a stain or wrinkle. Some see in the word stain an outward problem. Some see with the word wrinkle an inward problem. But whatever it is, Jesus takes care of all the problems or any such thing and takes care of all the negative and presents her holy and blameless. A look ahead to Judgment Day and God's plan for us members of his holy Christian church, his bride, the plan to get us safely home to heaven. Again, verse 32. This is a great mystery, but, I'm not, but I am talking about Christ and the church. Earlier he spoke about nourishing and cherishing the church, and here, we're, here the Holy Spirit says, it's a great mystery. Now by the word mystery, the Holy Spirit isn't saying there's a hidden stuff throughout the Bible. He's saying the Bible is the mystery book. The Bible is the book that reveals all the mysteries of God. And here you have an opportunity to be reminded of the mystery that surrounds Jesus Christ. Without the Bible, we wouldn't know about his holy birth in Bethlehem. Without the Bible, we wouldn't know that he never sinned in thought, word, or deed. Without the Bible, we wouldn't know about his perfect life of love for everybody, including his enemies. Without the Bible, we wouldn't know that when he went to the cross and died, it wasn't for anything that he had done, or it wasn't beyond, due to circumstances beyond his control. He went to the cross for our sins, to take the sins of the whole world. Without the Bible, we wouldn't know it covered the whole world. And without the Bible, we wouldn't know about the resurrection on Easter morning and his defeating death. This is the mystery about Christ, and about Christ and the church, that's revealed in the scriptures. So let's rewind to the beginning of the sermon when we talk about the world we live in. You cannot, you cannot expect the world we live in to understand the concept of submit. It's a mystery to them. You cannot, you cannot expect the world to understand the concept of love. It's a mystery to them. They'll talk about love, they'll talk about submission, but if you take out the cross on Good Friday, you don't understand the depths of love depths of love found in the Father's heart in heaven when he said, I've got to do something about the world and the death it's headed towards in hell. The depth of love of the Son that says, Father, I willingly do what you've asked me to do. I'll go to the earth. The depths of the Son to go through the agony in the Garden of Gethsemane, to go through the agony 
of the cross, agony of soul, we can't describe it. Agony of body, we can't describe it. And the separation that took place between the Father and the Son when the whole world was darkened and the Son had to cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The world cannot understand that kind of love. That has to be revealed in the scriptures. And that gives us the opportunity to explain the mysteries to the world. Likewise, the devil has no interest in this. In fact, this is not, this is my, I better step out of the pulpit, because this is my personal opinion, that the devil loves to play havoc with marriage. Because when he's playing havoc with marriage, he's going after two souls, or maybe more souls if there's children involved. So when he goes after marriage, he can affect not just one person, but he can affect a whole family. So we can expect the devil to launch furious attacks against God's plan for marriage. And, of course, our own sinful flesh doesn't like this plan. Our own sinful flesh wakes up in the morning and says, what's in this day for me? What's in this marriage for me? I don't think I'm being treated fairly in this marriage. And that's our sinful flesh. And we need to go back to Good Friday, the role model. Did Jesus respond that way? When he was spending the long hours not eating and not sleeping to take care of people, did he ever say, what's in it for me? When he's at the foot of the, when he's dying on the cross, do you ever hear him crying out and saying, what's in this stuff for me? What's in this saving the world for me? That's, what's in it for me is part of our flesh. It's not part of Christ or the Christian man. I mentioned to you earlier in the uh, sermon that we have 12 weddings that I'm aware of, and please, if I don't have all of them listed, let us know. We have 12, and that's a great gift to our church. 12 getting married according to God's plan. And, and on the hymnal committee, we had some struggles with hymns, selecting hymns from time to time, because when you go to a wedding hymn, is that wedding hymn meant for the day of marriage, or is it meant for marriage in general? So today I tried to pick a hymn 791, and as you sing it through, I think it's a nice summary of our text. But it's not applying just to those 12, but it's applying to all of us. All of us that are married, all of us that might get married, and all of us who are Christians and need to defend God's plan of marriage. But on this prayer Sunday, I want to take a moment to offer a prayer for those 12 couples. We pray. Oh, Jesus Christ, you loved your bride, the church, so much that you gave yourself into death for her and have said, so ought husbands to love their wives. We ask you to sustain, to sustain such a love in the hearts of our members who are planning on getting married yet this year. Grant that each couple may live in close harmony and loving companionship, each husband and each wife giving as well as receiving, loving as well as being loved. Help them to bear one another's burdens, to strive and love to make the happiness and well-being of the other their mutual goal. Bless these couples, not only as they begin to walk life's journey together, but all their days. Be the architect of their hopes, the master builder of their lives, the fulfiller of their dreams, and the fountain from which they can draw a never-ending supply of blessings. Keep each couple closely in touch with your word so that it ever remains the source of their faith, the strength of their lives, and their compass to guide them. With their faith thus resting fully in you, may they live together as heirs of eternal life in Christ Jesus. Amen.
What's the key to successful marriage? It's more than love. It's the love of Christ. What's the key to successful marriage? It's more than good communication. It's talking to God. It's listening to God's word. What's the key, the key to marriage, a good successful marriage? Why, it's Good Friday. Because at Good Friday, you see your role model. At Good Friday, you'll see the one who's made the payment for your failures to follow the role model. And at Good Friday, you'll have the gift of eternal life. Amen.